That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the Batman and DC podcast with no limits. Uh, so January has been a crazy start to 2019 for us. If you have missed any of our recent episodes, over the last couple of weeks, we have been joined by Doug Mankey, Alex Sinclair, and Marv Wolfman, and we are not slowing down anytime soon. So let's get to the roundtable for today. We've got the Bat Force Times in New York, Bat Force Tom in California. I chant it. Grandpa Batman in Texas. Hey, guys. And I'm Twister. Robin Cross in Canada. Oh, yeah, got, got to have the twister. It's the weekend, right? It's, yeah. So today we are being joined by the creator of renowned indie books like Nailbiter, Birthright, and Ghosted. You also know him as the author of prominent DC titles such as The Flash, uh, including the button crossover with Tom King. He is also writing Justice League Odyssey and is on the cusp of beginning a Heroes in Crisis crossover entitled The Price, that kicks off February 6th in the pages of Batman and Flash, issues 64 and 65, along with Guillaume Mark and Rafa Sandoval. Today, we are tapping into the Speed Force with Joshua Williamson. Yeah, nice. That was a very good intro. Very nice, man. That was very good. Thank that you. was like one of the I, best ones I think I've ever got. That's good. I, I worked on that for like five minutes. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Good five minutes. Good five minutes. Well, well I, I wish you that accomplished, you know. I, yeah, I, I know... All the stuff you work on, so I didn't have to look things mm. up and figure out what you had done. So oh, right it, it, it comes pretty easily. Mm. All right. But uh, again, thank you so much for ma- uh, making the time to come talk to us here. Now, sure. aside from uh, bumping into you in conventions and things, we haven't had the chance to talk to you on the show. So if you didn't mind, I would like to start off at the beginning and just kind of... Uh, find out where this all came from for you leo was there what was that moment that made you decide this is what i want to do i want to tell stories and how did you make that your reality comics have like it's kind of strange to say this out loud but i i feel like i was like born and bred to make comic books like i feel like that has been my life purpose from the moment i was born my parents were already into comics when i was born like i never lived in a house where comics weren't around you know, like it was always a short box full of stuff, and it was always, uh, you know, Brave and the Bold, Teen Titans, uh, Fantastic Four, Doom Patrol. There was a lot of Jerry Lewis and Bob Hope comics in there, um, Casper, things like that. So I was just kind of always around comics. So when I was little, my parents bought me stuff like um, the Superpowers comics, the ones that Jack Kirby did for the cartoon. And so I had a lot of that stuff growing up, and I was just kind of like always around comics and superheroes and then i get around to being i would say like when the first batman movie came out i was already getting a little bit of comics here and there i used to go to um like costco and you know to like like a grocery store but mostly costco my parents would buy me these like packs of comics they'd have these giant like saran wrapped things of comics um 
and I would just get those. And there was no comic book store nearby me at the time. And so most of the time I was getting comics. Like I'd go, if I went to like my parents, my parents, if I went to a bookstore with them, I'd run around, try and find something comic book related. And, you know, there'd always be like this tiny, tiny, tiny selection. It's like so different now in comparison. Um, and I would just constantly get these comics. And then around when Batman Returns came out. So I've told this story a lot of times, but this is, this is what happened. Um, so Batman Returns came out. I went and saw it at the theater. And after the movie was over, we're walking out of the theater and I saw this really big sign. And it was like, brand new comic book store opened up next door to the movie theater. If you bring your Batman Returns ticket stubs in, they'll give you a free dollar comic. Which at that time, a dollar comic wasn't like a cheap thing. It was like most comics were still a dollar at the time or $1.25, $1.50. Uh, like the deluxe stuff would be like a dollar seventy five, you know, like that was the that was the high price stuff. So uh, I went in there and, and my parents, I got their ticket stubs and my ticket sub, and I ran around and I bought three Batman comics. Um, like you know that Norm Breyfogle cover mm. of uh, the skull that has like mm-hmm. the right. That's one of them. Uh, the one where he's like a little like the detective one. I think it's one of my my favorite covers is him with all like the lab stuff around him. So I got these comics and that summer. I saw Batman Returns 17 times in the theater. <laughs> Whoa, because, damn. So, so what I figured out was... In the theater? In the theater. Holy shit. What I figured out was this. The people in the comic book store, they did not care how I got the ticket stubs, as long as I brought in ticket stubs. Because they didn't, they didn't care. You know, it was like some person who probably wasn't even really in the comics. You know, they just kind of just doing a job for them. It was a counter job. So what I would do is, after I saw the movie, I would wait for the lights to come up, and I would walk up and down the aisles, and I would find ticket stubs on the ground. Damn. And so I'd get, like, a handful of ticket stubs, and I would walk in and just drop them on the counter and walk out with, like, five, six, you know, sometimes <laughs> ten comics. And that was really when... And so here's the thing. That comic store was a bike ride away from my house. And so, you know, I'm, like, 11 years old, so I was riding my bike all the time. Like, I was ditching school, like, when Nightfall was coming out. Like, I would straight out be like, Guess who's not going to school today? Like, <laughs> I would ride my bike to get, you know, mm-hmm. copies of comics. Like, I remember when Death of Superman came out. Like, I didn't go to school. You know, what's that? You're the bad boy of comics. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would go to school. I would go and, um, you know, I was like a little like criminal mastermind when I was trying to figure out how I could, like, you know, how I could get back into the school. Because I'd be like, the comic shop opens at 10 a.m. So I do is I just run in, I get those comics. I can maybe be at school by 10.30. I'm like an hour and a half late. Once I got to high school, it was easier because he's like, oh, I just missed the first two periods. Oops. Uh, <laughs> but I would do this. But then I was just a kid at the comic book store, you know? Like, I was just always around. I'd ride my bike there. Then when I was around 14, another comic book store opened up a little bit closer to me. It was, it was the same chain. It was like a little chain where I lived. And so I went and I started going there. Eventually, one day, the guy was just like, yeah, this is when I was 15, I think. Or I was about to turn 15. He was just like, dude, do you want to just work here? Like, on Saturdays, do you want to just work? Like, I need someone to bag and board things. Can you do this? Can you do that? And I was like, sure, I'll do that. At that point, now, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. By the time I was in, like, fifth grade, I grew up in California. They used to have this uh, the Shrine Convention every month. And it was always, like, the third Sunday. And I would read Wizard. And I would, like, they still read got stuff. It still have it okay so you know what i'm talking about yeah so i would be like yeah yeah so here's the thing so when i was a kid i would get like starlog or whatever you know you go to the comic book store 
and uh, they would have advertisements for the string convention, and you would read Wizard, and their Wizard would be like, um, if you want to break into comics, even then, they're like, you got to go to conventions, all right? So we when I was in like fourth, fifth grade, I would read this stuff, and I knew about the Shrine Convention. You'd get those those the like orange flyers they hand out, right? Yeah. And so I would be like, all right, I'm gonna go to the Shrine Convention. I'm gonna get a job in comics. Like I'm gonna do something. Uh, I'm either gonna write them, I'm gonna draw them, I'm gonna be an editor. <laughs> like literally, my uh, fourth grade yearbook underneath my you know you have like your your picture underneath. They're like, what do you want to be in the future? It says comic book editor. <laughs> uh, which that's a whole other thing we'll get into. But so I went so the, the night before the shrine convention, my friends were having a sleepover and we literally sat there doing art samples that are just little kid drawings, essentially. Like we're just little kids, we don't know any better. To to try to show people in comics our drawings and our story ideas to try to get into comics. And we went to the shrine convention, and then of course you realize the shrine convention is not like there's no editors there. It's not like going to San Diego or WonderCon or whatever, right? Like, it isn't really. There might be some creators there, but mostly it's a um, it's a swap meet, right? Like, mostly it's a uh, there's dealers. There's not really right. like, you know, no one's doing portfolio reviews there, and I don't think they're gonna do portfolio reviews for like a kid in the fourth grade. Uh, but that was really when it started, and like all my friends and I, we were like, oh man, we're gonna make this, we're gonna make that. I basically made this character. I can't remember his name now. Um, I think it was Nightmare with a K, and and he basically was Wolverine and Batman put together uh, before they did that in the Amalgam universe. I remember when I saw that shit, I was so mad. I was like, they ripped me off. <laughs> so uh, damn dark claw. Yeah, I was so pissed. I was like, because I basically I, I I have it in like a box in the garage. I'll pull it out and see if I can find it. But it's 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 basically imagine if Dark Claw had Archangel's wings. Like that's essentially what it was. He had like the big metal wings. Um. And so yeah, by the time I was in, um, by the time I was in high school, I, it's weird when you're in high school and you you start talking to people about like I actually want to make comics for a living. It's really weird if you don't know anybody that does it, right? Because they're just like, okay, cool. Like, how do you even start with that? Uh, and so by the time I was in high school, I would start thinking about like, yeah, I just really want to make comics. Like, I just want to make these things. I don't even know how to do it. I don't know where to go. You read Wizard. That's about the extent of it. You know, like you read Wizard. You but then I started going to San Diego, and you start meeting people. I started. I remember I met this one creator. I'm not going to say who they are, but I met this one creator when I was like 16, and I went over to the Valiant booth. I'm kind of giving away who it was, but I went to the Valiant booth, and I was like, you know, back when they were like Valiant Acclaim. So I mm -hmm. went over, and I was like, uh, I really want to write comics or make comics. What do you suggest? And he just looked at me and was just like, stay in school. <laughs> he was like don't you don't want to do this for a living stay in school and i was like oh my god so for as uh, long as you can you gotta <laughs> cherish it yeah it was like that uh so then uh <laughs> right before i graduated high school i really was like i don't want to do because all i wanted to do is this and it was like you know i guess i'll go to college like i don't i don't know like it was just this this weird zone of like, I know I want to be a writer. I want to write comics. I want to work in comics. I want to make books, like work in book production or something. And um, we had one of those like uh, those like job fairs, college fairs at my high school. And there was this big um, banner of Wolverine drawn by Jeff Matsuda. 
And I was like, what is that about? I'll go there. And I went over and I started talking to the person and they're just a recruiter or whatever. But they were like, oh, yeah, we uh, we have comic artists that work at our college and stuff, which was like a half truth. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to work. I want to work in comics. And they're like, you should sign up. So I went and I actually went to school and I was like, I could do this. Like it was mostly a program for graphic design, but I was like, I could do this. This is making books, making art. And there's there there were people that had worked in comics there. Um and so I was like, okay, cool, I'll do it. And then the thing about that was, is that, yes, when I actually went to this college, you're talking about like the end of, during 99, um, when I went to this college, the teachers there were only had artists who had done like a few things in like heavy metal magazine. They weren't like, like Jeff Masuda, it was funny. Later on, I talked to him about it and he was like, I have no idea what that is. Like they just used my art. It wasn't like any kind of promotional thing with him at all. Uh but the thing that I was lucky about was I was in the dorms and there was, it was crazy. Like I went the first night I was there, I got there too late and I checked in and I, there was something wrong with my dorm room. So I had to stay in somebody else's dorm room for the night. And they were like, well, these guys aren't even going to be here this weekend. So we're going to put you in their room just for the night. Have a cot. And I was like, oh man, whatever. And so <laughs> I drove around this, it was Long Beach, California. So I'm driving around Long Beach and I'm like, you know, I find the comic book store is closed up. I have nothing with me. The only comic I brought with me was Watchmen. And um, I went over and I just went to my room and I'm like reading Watchmen after getting like McDonald's or something because I didn't know anybody. And all of a sudden my door opens and these two guys are standing there. And one of them, who was the RA, was like, hey, idiot, don't leave your keys in the door. And I was like, oh, shit, sorry, thank you. And then the other guy was like, yo, are you reading Watchmen? And I was like, do you know what Watchmen is? Like, you guys are in the comic books? And they looked at each other, and they were like, come with us. <laughs> and they took me to, like, their rec room, whatever. And, dude, it was, like, wall-to-wall comic book stuff. <laughs> crazy was it was all projects they had made, man. So they had, like, these, mo- you know what a mobile is, right? Like, hangs from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. They had all these mobiles they had made of DC shit that they made. There's, like, that official stuff. They made it. They had all these posters that they made. It all this crazy stuff in there. And uh, they were just like, yeah, we all want to make comics here. And that is the thing that helped me the most in terms of learning about comics because they all either were already trying to make comics or they knew people who had or they had like weird connections. Like one guy went to school there, had graduated a couple years earlier. He was working with Rob Liefeld on something like it was just kind of a thing of like there were people there that kind of knew enough that you're able to like gather little bits and pieces. Like you meet some guy who's like, I made a comic once, you know, <laughs> like, and you're able to sit there and talk with them about like, what did you do? How did you do it? I learned how to make books. Um, at the time I wasn't even really sure if I was still going to write, I was going to try to be an editor. Uh, I applied for jobs at CrossGen. I applied for jobs at Wildstorm. Um, and it never worked out. I just didn't have enough experience. And so I started making comics to show I could be an editor to make experience, like actually making stuff. But what was weird is when I was in the dorms, for the most part, it was all artists. There weren't really any writers in there. There was like one or two. But they would never write anything. They would say they were writers, but they would never write anything. So I'm surrounded by artists. And I was like, well, fuck, I'm taking advantage of this. So I started just, you know, (laughs) writing my own stuff, working with these artists, making mini comics, going to San Diego, handing out mini comics to people, going to whatever convention, whatever signing is being like, here's my mini comics, here's my mini comics. And that, uh, yeah, man, that takes you to like 2001, 2002. But yeah, I was, I mean, I, I feel like I've been doing this 
my whole life in some form or another like just you know trying to make comics well that that's what you like to hear from uh, from someone who does make it because i have similar thing i won't say who it was but uh, there was an artist at a con uh, a few years ago that on the topic of his comic art you know his his sort of snooty reply was well i just do comics to pay for my real art Oh, that's that, a bummer. That, that, that turns you off. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, really? Just, I was interested in your stuff, but not so much anymore. No, I, uh, this is like a life for me. I don't know. It's weird to explain to people. I'm sure you guys can relate to this, where you're talking to somebody about comics, and you're like, it's a lifestyle choice. Like, it's a weird thing to explain to people sometimes. Um, I remember my wife first came to my apartment, like, six years ago. And she walked in and she saw like three toys, like three Batman toys, and was like, "Oh, there's toys." And I was like, "You think this is a lot? This is fucking nothing." Like, <laughs> you guys should have seen. Um, so, so here's the thing. So, in making comics, it costs money, right? And so, I actually worked at a comic book store all through high school, all through college. And I was a manager of a store for two years. Um, I've been buying comics my entire life. So by the time you get around to 2008, 2007. Uh, I had a hundred long boxes uh, full of comics. And I didn't know that at first. What happened was by the time I was living, I was living in San Diego. I live in Portland now. I was living in San Diego. And what I would do is I would um, go to the comic book store, buy my books. I would read them. And every month I would take a diamond box and I would put the comics I got that month in the diamond box, seal it, write the date on the outside, and I'd put it in storage. This went on for years. So by the time I got around to like January of 2008, when I decided to move to Portland, I'm like, well, I got to get my comic book collection. I got to see what I have. By the time I got it and like organized everything, um, I was like, holy shit. I like legit. <laughs> it was one of those things where what I happened was I had it. Um, I had it in my living room or my dining room. I'm sorry, my dining room. I took the dining room, the table out. All this stuff. I had my dining room. And I'm just stacking boxes up. Like I bought long boxes. I'm organizing. I'm cataloging. I'm writing everything down. Like what? Like everything I have, I'm writing it down. Just organizing it. And then you have this moment where I realize I had ten. What it was? It's like ten rows on the ground, and then stacked up ten. Right. Oh. And that's when I looked at it. Was like ten times ten. <laughs> oh fuck! Like it's just, you know. Um, and so what I did was, I mean. I, it, I went through it and I was like, all right, here's the shit that's important to me. These are things I have signed, like signed stuff that's coming with me. Things that are really important to me, like certain books, um, certain issues. Like I would go through and be like, keeping this and keeping that. Uh, I kept all of that. This actually kind of hurt. Like I kept Batman and I kept Detective, but I got rid of Legends. I got rid of Shadows. I got rid of like all the other stuff, mm-hmm. like Robin and Nightwing and Birds of Prey. Got rid of all that, but I kept Batman and Detective. Um, like I still those comics I bought a Batman detective I bought in the eighties to present day I still have them all. Um, so certain things like I kept all of the Flash that I had. Um, at the time I was keeping the Amazing Run I had and the Incredible Hulk Run I had and the X Men Uncanny sets that I had at the time. But I'll keep like weird things like Spider Man twenty ninety nine I kept because I loved that book when I was a kid so I still have it like I, I that's one of the ones I still have. Mm. So then. Um, I had a ton of trades. I had all this stuff. I had a ton of statues. Um, like, you know, the Jim Lee Hush statue? Um, yeah. I had that one. I had the Superman one for it, too. Um, I had that statue, the Michael Turner one, of, of uh, the Flash standing on top of Gorilla Grodd. Um, I had this dope uh, Wonder Woman one. 
And I sold all of it. Like, it was painful, but what was going on was that I was moving to Portland. I couldn't take it all with me. Mm. And I wanted to make comics. And to make comics, you got to pay people. Like, I had to pay colorists and artists and lettering and, and uh, you know, everything. At the time, I had learned how to do a lot of that stuff myself. Like, I could do some flats. I could do some colors. I could do – I could letter. I lettered all my comics up until Ghosted. Ghosted, there's actually a version of Ghosted number one and Nailbiter number one that I lettered that I just used for proofing. And then we had professional letters come in and do it. Um, but I sold everything, everything. And uh, it was rough. It was a rough time. But now, <laughs> if, if you guys saw my office, I've got a lot of it back. Um, like, I have a ton of Batman black and white statues and different things. And then I have like a crap ton of trades and hardcovers, mostly hardcovers. Uh, I trade up sometimes if I get like an omnibus, I'll put it, I'll like, so like when I got all the Jeff Johns Green Lantern omnibuses, I, you know, gave all the other ones to a library, like the, the paperbacks of them or even the regular hardcover that I'd give them to the library nearby. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I feel like it's something, it's, it's not just a thing that I do for a living just for money. It's, mm. this is, like a lifestyle thing like i have genuine love of this industry and yeah. of comics <laughs> i don't know now that that's a good segue in terms of uh when you were selling stuff and moving to portland because uh yeah for me uh personally um nail biter might be in my top five dead or alive man i could read that oh, story yeah, over and over again i oh god i freak i i can't express verbally how much i love that story and my my girl too she wanted to say tell, tell you how much she loves it as well um, when you moved to Portland, did, mm -hmm. was there a lot of inspiration come in terms of you developing like Buckaroo and all the like serial killers and all that stuff? Yeah, I had moved to when I when I first got here, I lived like in a crappy, crappy little apartment. Um, but I moved out to uh, a small town out here, and when I was living in that small town, man, like, you, you start to absorb small town dynamics. And I would ride my bike around, like I ride my bike around the small little town, and it's, it's like an hour outside of Portland. Um, and it felt like I was in a different state. It, it felt like I was in a completely different world. I would ride around and you have these big open fields and you look out at the end of those fields and you see some broke down house that looks straight out of like Texas Chainsaw, right? Mm. And I would look at that stuff and I would just be like, oh, someone's dead in that field, right? Like there's 100% <laughs> body up there. Like, and uh, so it was a lot of that. So what it was, was there was, there was two things. I was really interested in small town stuff. Like I really liked kind of the environment of small town. I found it to be very interesting, the politics, the life of it. Um, you know, when you literally have like a main street and that main street is just it for that town. Like that's, there's something interesting to that. And it's called main street. <laughs> and it's called main street. That's real. You know, that's real. So there's something, there's a dynamic to that. So then you have that. Then I was always kind of interested in stuff with serial killers. Like I would, I would books I'd gravitate to or movies and I love horror and I love uh, horror tropes actually. Like, it's interesting how, like, I think sometimes the word trope can be a bad word, but I, I love it personally. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I really liked, you know, um, the first Halloween, and I really liked Psycho. And I just started, you know, started thinking about these ideas. And I was just really kind of gravitating to, like, how can I do something with serial killers and a small town? How can I do that? But I was like, I don't want to do Eureka right for serial killers like mm. oh, a bunch of serial killers live there i was like that just feels obvious and weird and i i feel like it'd been done so, uh, even if it hadn't been done it felt like it had been done and 
So I was doing research on different serial killers, and I was on an airplane. I was flying out of San Diego Comic-Con, and I was doing research on the airplane on the Zodiac Killer. Mm. And uh, I grew up in Riverside, California. That's where the comic shops were when I was a kid. Uh, so I was reading about the Zodiac, and when I was a kid, I remember there being two different serial killers in Riverside in the 80s. I remember this. Mm. So when I'm reading this stuff about the Zodiac, they at one point thought the Zodiac killer, the person they believed to be the Zodiac killer, was living in Riverside. And I was like, that's so crazy. Like, it's the same time period. It's the 80s. Why were there three serial killers all in Riverside, you know, the, this town at the same time? And I'm on the airplane. I remember this very well. I literally in my head thought, oh, because they were born there. And I wrote that down at the top of a notebook. Just because they were born there, and I circled it, and I was like, I fucking know it. Like, that's what this book is. It's about a town where serial killers were born. And then I started doing research about this stuff and about how there were, like, weird things, like, weird things and similarities. And, and, and kind of like how, you know, North the Northwest has kind of this weird stuff going on with it. And then, you know, I found out about this, this, uh, this small Eastern European country where they, in, like, one year caught, like, 28 serial killers or some shit. Hmm. And they were interviewing, they were interviewing, like, different people and, and um, you know, interviewing one guy and he's just like, you know, no one can know why the devil chose this town. And then they interviewed a guy who was a cop there. And this, the cop said something that haunts me. He's just like, and they asked him, like, why are there so many serial killers here? And he's like, because every town has as many serial killers. We're just better at catching them. Like, that was his answer. Uh, and so all this stuff sort of just kind of came around to me making that book. And then I met up with Mike and, and Mike and I had known each other for a while. We had done stuff before we did a couple of things. Like we did a book called masks and mobsters. We did like a Ninja Turtles thing together. So him and I just started talking about it and, um, Oh, well, here's the big thing. I chew my nails. Me personally, I chew my nails. Ah, so you're the, and I know other, I know other writers choose their nails too. Like, like Scott Snyder chooses nails. Um, Jay McKelvey chooses nails. Uh, so I started thinking about that and I had written a short story years ago. I wrote this horror short story called the nail biter years ago. It was never published. I was trying to get it in when dark horse, when dark horse was doing creepy magazine, I wrote a short story called the nail biter that was about the nail biter. Uh, and they never published, they didn't buy it. Um, but it always stuck with me. So all this stuff sort of came together and that's what, that's what made nail biter. Um, I miss writing it. I don't want to get too much into like that stuff, but I might get back to it someday. Oh, I don't know. please, yes. <laughs> but, uh, I, I was heartbroken when it ended, dude. I know you said that you wanted to wrap it up, you know, because some people thought you were doing, you had other ventures that maybe that's why you wrapped it up, but you did. No, say the you, plan was always the plan had been for a long time to wrap it up at thirty. Yeah. Um. There was, the, but there's a reason why we left some dangling plot lines. But yeah, I just had lunch. Some, yeah. yeah, Mike. Mike lives like. 15 minutes from my house it's not even he lives mm. like two miles it's just because we're in a neighborhood it takes longer mm. but yeah he lives like two three miles from me so we have lunch every other week and um we, we just had lunch yesterday and we talked about nail biter stuff and he is so know. good he is so good. yeah 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 that stuff he's doing for dead man logan i i really like a lot it was funny though we were see there's a thing with mike is that mike he is a like star wars fantasy guy and I had him drawing people standing in a fucking field all the time. <laughs> and so I think there was a moment. That's why there's moments in Nailbiter where there's that one issue where Warren is telling the story about how he went to hell and he fought demons. Mm. That's that's why that's there. Because I basically got to a point with Mike where I'm like, dude, I know you're going to like 
either lose your mind or kill me if I make you draw like another scene with somebody standing in a basement, right? Like, so I started throwing a field through other planets. He was fine. Mm. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he knows that. Yeah, so I oh, you that. could take Nailbiter to outer space. That's what you need to do. There's a planet where all the serial killers come from. He's really good because if you re- when you read Nailbiter and you look at the artwork, it's like the the way he draws the fields and the houses and the caves or whatever. There's this weird stillness or silence to the town that he portrays visually in that book. So it's uh, right. he's he's really disciplined in that sense. If that's his thing, like you know the fa- outer space fantastical stuff. If he could achieve that in Buckaroo, that's that's really impressive too. So. Yeah, now, I think he uh, he was made for it. I don't know, but go ahead, go ahead. They collected like I don't know most of the the series in a hardcover. Do you think they're going to have like all thirty in like an omnibus though? Some point? Oh, I don't know. We've talked about it. I think right now, like I'm personally, I have kind of mixed feelings on it because like we have two of those hardcovers are out already. The third one comes out in May which will be like mm. the five year anniversary of issue one. Mm. So uh, to me, when I have those three hardcovers, that to me is like the accomplishment. That's the thing. Cause Nailbiter was a book that uh, we got rejected by everybody. Wow. Mm. And um, did they give reasoning behind like why? They... Uh, there was weird reasons. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it was like, they just didn't like it. There was one where they wanted to change so much of it that I, they wanted to take what was the first like 20 issues and make it the first five. And I'm like, nah, I don't think you get it. Um, you know, there was a couple people who just weren't feeling it and that's fine. There was like other reasons. There was one where it came down to it and another book and the other book was somebody's like baby. Like they had like shepherded it through. So they were like, well, that's the book that's going to be the priority. So it was really weird. There was some stuff where they were like, we're passing for now was a phrase. Um, I have no ill will toward any of this. Yeah. It, it worked out for the best, but to get back to the, the omnibus thing, there's a part of me that when I look at those three hardcovers and I see what I we made, and, and I'm very proud of those three hardcovers. Yeah. And so I feel like I want to get that out and get those done. And then maybe someday, like I know John J. Hill, who's the letter and the designer, uh, he does a lot of like awesome design work outside of doing stuff for Image. Because he did the design work for Nailbiter, he did it for God Country and a few other other things. But he uh, used to do a lot of design work with DC. He makes like really dope like art books. Like he made a really cool art book for the thing last year um, with John Carpenter. Like he's made some really awesome stuff. He and I have talked about it because he wants to make like he wants to make like the artsy edition. Like mm-hmm. it's funny when you look at those hardcovers. I look at those hardcovers and I'm like. Oh man, these are dope. And he's kind of like, these are basic. We could do better. <laughs> we can make, you know what I mean? Like, we could do something dope. And so I think it'll come down to a couple things. Like, if we bring it back, it, that that's also part of it is I don't want to have one omnibus and then be like, oh, we're bringing it back. Like, I want to wait. And, and I, not to get too deep into it, there's, there, there's some conversations we've had about it and there's other things kind of going on. Yeah. But maybe someday, like, I'm not, I'm not going to say no. It's just a, it's like a maybe someday. It just depends on some of the some little factors that are kind of going on. I, I hope, well, I hope but, it comes back. So. Yeah, I mean, well, at least you've got the third one coming out, and it closes out the you know the run because you know you're right. Those there's those first two hardcovers are really cool. He calls them basic, but they're really cool. With, I know, I love them. I love them. I hold them sometimes at night. Like I just love them. So I don't <laughs> like. They're in my office, like, right next to me, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Have there been any talks with any networks about the possibility of picking something like that? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, for sure. We've had a lot of conversations about it. Um, 
I mostly would just say stay tuned yeah. on that. Uh, I said that, you know, Walking Dead took seven years to get on television. Mm, um, yeah. Many and had a lot of uh, attempts. Yeah, and and so it's that thing of, like, we haven't really had a lot of, like, failed attempts or anything like that, but we've had a lot of conversations, and Mike and I are very picky about it and very, uh, I don't know, like, it's an important book to us, and so we're not going to just give it to somebody and have them run off with it and make whatever. Yeah. So it's, right. we're, we've been yeah. probably more difficult <laughs> well, it's, it's, better, it's better to have it come at the right time just like the book didn't get picked up until it was the right time uh you, yeah. you gotta wait for that because that the same thing almost happened when you mentioned walking dead like that was almost an abc or nbc series yeah i can't remember which one it was yeah but yeah right. oh yeah that would have been bad been like, that, that wouldn't have been yeah. good for anybody I, i'm telling everyone nah. like Nailbiter is the book that you know if all, all of us comic lovers know is you know you have that one book where as soon as you leave the comic shop you gotta sit down somewhere and read through that motherfucker you know it's like that was that book for me and I yeah I could I, I could definitely see it being on a network one day I mean um I know Sci-Fi just started uh, Remender's Deadly Class and I love Deadly Class but I'm like yeah. but you know what if I could see Nailbiter on a good network one day that would be so fucking amazing because that is just one yeah, of those gripping show uh gripping stories that you just can't get your eyeballs off of you know for me personally thanks man yeah thank you uh, I I work I work in a comic shop and uh, what he said about Nailbiter is really true it's one of those books that. Someone walks out of the shop with volume one. Sometimes later that day, they'll be back <laughs> to, to get more of it. Yeah. That's okay, awesome. I, when I plow That's through this, I don't, I don't want to go through the night and not have more of it to read. So I came uh, back. That's, that's kind awesome. of but, uh, can, can, can you say what comic shop you work for? Or? Uh, yeah, it's called Rogues Gallery Comics. It's in uh, Windsor, okay. Ontario. Right on. I think I know that one. I might, I might, do I follow them on Twitter? I try to keep it's weird, man. I have that mind for uh, uh, comic shop because I worked at one. Like I literally worked at one through high school, one through college, and I was a manager for two years. And so it's like I still uh, I'm always fascinated by comic shops, what goes on in them, and like mm. how different things are now to then. Because even when I was a manager, like this is sound really silly, but it's part of your your weekly life now. Is that like you guys get the comics on Tuesdays, right? Yeah, man, we used to get them. Uh, I used to drive to the LA warehouse on Wednesday morning, pick up the comics, drive back to the comic store, open the boxes, do the count, do do the pulls, and then have it all ready when it opened at 10 a.m. Whoa! Um, so you guys, like, I'm so jealous of that Tuesday thing. I mean, Diamond is still yeah. a nightmare, I imagine. Yeah, but... it makes it makes it a lot easier, and uh, even even better is that uh, we pick up Tuesday morning instead of waiting for the courier to deliver it whenever through the day they would get yeah. around to our area so we do the pickup tuesday morning and that gives us the entire day and evening to yeah to do all the polls all that. and then you actually get to look at the books i mean exactly. we would be you know the the, the comic shop that worked on college in particular they were right next to a college and uh we would have like a good amount of people wednesday morning they would ask us questions and it'd be like i don't I haven't even looked at it yet you know like we're racing to get it stuff done i haven't looked at anything you know, I would I'd be able to sneak like one comic, maybe two comics, but yeah. It, it helps for us because of having the show and everything. We get the review copies from DC, so we get uh, we get mm. the books digitally on the Friday before. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. does help because sometimes come Wednesday morning, people will come in and be like, uh, "Have you heard anything about this yet?" And you know, the owner will say like, "Well, I I haven't read anything. Uh, what is it? Oh, it's a DC book. Ask Robin." 
and he'll come after <laughs> you know the person can come after me like oh yeah yeah I read it Friday yeah yeah it's good yeah see that's awesome yeah that's yeah. that's good way thing. better than what it was when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was not like that at all. It was not like that at all. But that's that's terrific. And and that's crazy how the technology is changing. And I yeah. I would have to think that that trickles eventually in some form to comic shops too. You know, like uh, being able to get uh, ac- earlier access to books and things like that, so that they can actually give customers opinions on release day. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wish there was a way. This is a longer conversation we should get into, but. I do wish there was a way for retailers to get access to certain some certain things ahead of time, even as far as at least FOC. But um, you know, that isn't the reality. I'm not sure if it will be, but it'd be nice if you guys had it. Like when you're doing FOC, you could actually look at it more. I, I think you guys just are able to have the cover, right? You don't get like a preview of the cover. Um, but yeah, good people of Gotham. This is Bad Force Tom's wife. Thank you for listening to Bad Force Radio. Now will you take the trash out? Fine, God, do it now. Was was that quote true? Where you said you, they would have to pull your dead body off the book for you to? Yeah, leave? they had to take out my dead hands. Yeah, <laughs> That's true. I have said that because, um, like, for me with DC, it's really about. It's funny, like Batman and Flash are my favorite, and then it's like Superman and Green Arrow, and you know, there's a lot of characters that I I really like a lot, like Starman and and uh, and Green Lantern. But Batman and Flash are two book two characters that I obviously gravitate to when I was younger. Hmm. And now that I've been working on it, so when I got the job on Flash, I thought it was only going to be for like 12 issues when I pitched it. Like when I uh I was obsessed cuz Scott came to me. Scott and I have been friends since like 2009-2010. Um basically when American Vampire number 1 came out, which I think is 2010. Um him and I have been friends and he came to me at a convention in 2015 and was like, yo, you should come back to uh, D.C. And he was always trying to help me because he likes Nailbiter a lot. And like I said, we're friends. So he was always trying to push. And I was like, nah, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. And he's like, no, no, you should come back. Like, you know, what would you want to do? He's like, you should write The Flash. And I was like, they're never going to give me The Flash. That's never going to happen. But from the moment he said that and walked away from me, I was obsessed. Like, I, <laughs> I couldn't sleep at night because I was like. I would love to write the flash. I have a million flash ideas in my head. Like I would do that in a minute if I could. So I went to the offices. I talked to them a little bit about it. And it was always like, I made it known that I, I would like to work on the character at some point. If there was ever an opportunity, I was never saying right now. I was just saying if there was ever an opportunity, I would love to do it. And uh, I went and met with Dan at San Diego comic-con. I told this story before I pitched Dan. He said, no, he didn't like my pitch. Um, I was very intense though. I was like yelling at him. <laughs> I didn't realize I was yelling at him. I I didn't realize I was yelling at him. Uh, <laughs> and then he said no, but he told me why he said no. Then I saw him three months after that near Comic Con, and I was like, he's like, I know what you want. You want to write the Flash, and I was like, all right, here's what I want to do. And I pitched him what I wanted to do, and then Dan was like, oh no, I love this. He's like, it may not be the Flash book, but maybe we do like a twelve issue thing on the side or a mini or something. He's like, I can see that as a twelve issue thing, and I was like that's how i see it too at the time so i was like i'll do that and then i went to the offices just to pay a visit i met with people said hi to them and dan was kind of like what's your schedule like i'm like i have openings because i had been working on some stuff and i knew they were ending so like nailbiter at the time i was like probably writing issue 25 or 26 and we knew it was gonna hit 30 um I was done with Ghosted. I was done with uh, Captain Midnight and RoboCop and like all this stuff I had been writing. It all ended at the same time. 
I uh, and I'd been doing a little bit of stuff with Marvel, but I knew that wasn't really working out. It was going to end. So I was like, I have I have openings. He was like, all right, we'll probably call you this week. And 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 you know, what was funny is at that time when I had that conversation about my schedule, I I pretty much already had the job, but no one told me. Like I was talking <laughs> to Venditti about it later. Venditti was like, yeah, they were already saying you had the book like before all that. Like, he had already heard about. It. So it's I was like, like an office space where Milton is fired and no one tells him. Yeah. The opposite. You got the job and no one told you you were hired. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so then that Thursday, I got a call from Brian Cunningham. And he was like, all right, here's what's happening. We're flying you back from Portland. We're going to fly you back on Tuesday. And you're going to meet with everybody and you're going to pitch your story. You're going to pitch whatever you pitch to Dan. You're going to pitch to everybody. You're going to pitch to Jeff, uh, Dan, Jim. Just whoever else is editorial, Bob, like all these people, you're going to pitch it again. And I was like, all right, cool. I can do that. That's fine. Um, I'm going to backtrack for a minute. I've known Jeff. Remember I was saying I used to go to San Diego Comic-Con and I had my comics out. I met Jeff when he had just started writing The Flash. Like He really had only done a little bit of JSA. He had done, you know, Stargirl. Um, he hadn't done a whole lot. And I walked to at a booth at San Diego Comic-Con just sitting there. Like, no one was, there was no line. He wasn't signing autographs. It was his autograph time, but he wasn't like Jeff that we know now. He was just Jeff Johns, right? Like, new guy, writer, been writing comics for a year. And I walked up and I was like, hey, man, I love your Flash. Like, I really like it a lot. There's that issue. It's the first one he, it's the very first issue of the Flash he did where Captain Cold, like, freezes that cop and punches him in the face and, and shatters the guy's jaw. And all that. I just really liked that issue. And I was telling him about it. I'm like, man, I really liked your Flash. Like, it was really good. I think, like, three issues had been out. And I was like, I really like it. And uh, maybe more than that, I might be off my dates a little, but I was like, I really like it. And he was very cool. And every time I would see him, it came out exactly he remembered my name. Um, so, you, so now we're back. It's 2015. I'm, I'm, it's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And I go in the office to, to talk to them. And I thought I was going to do this big presentation. So I was all pumped up, like, I'm going to do this big presentation. I'm going to do this whole thing. And I get in there and Jeff walks in. He's like, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, we know each other for a really long time. I'm like, yeah, we started talking about it. And I said to him, I was like, yeah, I know. I met you when you had just started writing The Flash. And he's like, yeah, 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 I remember. And now you're writing The Flash. That was the first time someone told me I had the job. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, well, do I have to do the pitch? He was like, no, no, no. Dan told me what you talked about. It's time to get to work. And we sat there and wow. we started talking about the story. And it was like, boom, no, we're talking about the outline. We're talking about everything right there. And I spent like three hours with him talking about everything and, and and talking about pitching and characters and ideas and what I could and couldn't do. And um, like right did, off the bat, it was no, there was no pitching at that point. It was, let's get to work. Did he show you the magic erase board with everything charted out? Uh, they erase those every day. Oh. <laughs> we take <laughs> pictures. Oh, I'll be straight with you. We take pictures. Oh, okay. take pictures of the wall. And then we erase everything. He has stuff at his house, but I mean, at the office, he had a room he had a room next to his office that had a giant whiteboard. It was like the biggest whiteboard I've ever seen at that time. <laughs> and, um, I, I think the biggest whiteboard is the one that's in his, inside his head. He just <laughs> was so much. He, he keeps track of everything. We, we, yeah. What we do is, we, I mean, dude, I've seen some of those things where they're filled in like crazy. And then we take pictures of it. Um, and then we erase it all. Because you never know who's going to walk in that fucking room, right? Yeah. So <laughs> then we erase everything. Um but yeah, then it was just like, let's get to work, let's get started, and um, yeah, I don't know, I've been, it's been like a wild ride, man, but I love it, like I love it, and so here's the thing, so about around January, so two years ago, so 2017, um, I was in the office again, because I go to the office like every 
every two or three months, almost every two months, um, just for like future planning stuff for like Flash and, and and the line, like talking about books and stuff. And I uh, got there, and one of the editors was like, "Oh, just give you a heads up, you might it might take you off Flash at forty three. There was no reason. It was just like there was a conversation about it, and I was so like, you know, very casual, like, you know, just make sure you're doing stuff that presenting stories but that's always what it is right like you need to be able to pitch a story if you get to a point where you're working on a book and they say okay what's the next story and you're like i don't know that means you might be ready to be done with the book right like if you can't come up with any more story ideas you it might be time uh and so i was like all right cool but the moment he said that i was like oh my god like i have so many more stories to tell like, I had the math in my head and i was like wait that would take me up to the end of the Gorilla Garage story arc we've been planning. So I was like, no, nah, that's not the end. No way. And there was so much stuff I wanted to do. Like, I knew about Flash War in my head, but I, I wasn't called Flash War at the time, but I knew that story. And I was like, no, 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 there's so much more I want to do. And so by the time you get around, every every San Diego, I end up pitching them something, essentially, is to be like, this is what I want to do. And there's so much I want to do all the way up to 100. Um but I'm always just pitching them more ideas and more stuff I want to do. And yeah, it's going to take, it's going to, it would take a lot for them to be like, yo, you got to go. <laughs> you want it that big omnibus, don't you? Uh, yeah, I would love to have something <laughs> like that. It's crazy. I mean, the fact that I have, uh, cause the storyline we're doing right now is going to be the ninth. No, no, no. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. The 10th. It'll be the 10th flash trade that I've done is a storyline we're doing right now. So it's like, that's crazy to me. Like, that's that's insane. I've written more issues of Flash than Jeff. Like, the only person... Uh, Mark Wade and I are kind of neck and neck, because Mark's weird, because Mark had weird jumps. Like, he would leave the book for periods of time. Like, he left it for a whole year at one point. Right. Um, but I've written... Aside from, like, Carrie Bates and those people who wrote it for, like, 10 years straight, like, I've written more issues. Jeff was actually on the book for almost five years, but because of the double ship, I've written more than him. I've already written 74 issues of The Flash, like, right now. Wow. So, nice. uh, <laughs> I've written a lot of The Flash, man. It's weird. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my God. Like, look at all the covers. That bi-monthly schedule did, probably keeps you on your toes, doesn't did, it? Is this a trend now, do you think, with um, with these long runs? Because I think it was um, Tomasi, once he's got on Detective, he's saying, like, I want to do 100 issues of Detective. Like, that's the new, like, goal for some of these uh, writers, being that yeah, there's a bi-monthly. If, if you have a story, yeah, for sure, you should try to tell it. If you have a big thing, I mean, it's weird sometimes. This is a big thing I've noticed about people breaking into comics, too. Uh, it's all about the story. It's all about, do you have a story to tell? And is it your story? Like, can I feel it's you? It's all about that. If you don't have that, it, it's strange, right? Because like, you'll talk to people who are like, you know, I want to write comics. I want to I write this character. You're like, cool, what's the story? And they don't have a story. They just want, they just want to do it. And that's the, that's the pit that some people fall into when they're talking about comics, or they'll be like, or wanting to work in comics. It's all about the story. And so, yeah, I mean, if somebody has a story and they, they can do it, they, you know, make it work, like figure out how to do that. I, mean, I think for a while it felt like there weren't really long runs. I don't know. But Scott was on Batman for 50 issues, 52 issues. Mm -hmm. And then um, but then you look at Marvel, look at Marvel and Bendis was on X-Men forever. He was on Avengers forever. He was on like Jason Aaron has been on Thor for a long time. Yeah. Like 
I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's good, and it also builds, I think, trust between the readers and the publisher and with retailers to be like, we're trying to make these these runs like they used to be. Because I mean, that was the thing when I was reading comics. You'd have something in the book for a, a pretty long time. Yeah, and it did. It did feel like for a minute. I'm not going to cite examples, but it did feel like there was a minute there where it wasn't like that, where people would be on a book for like a year. Mm, but yeah. um, you know, like, even Mark yeah. Millar was like that. Mark Millar would only stay on books for like a year. Mm. And it brings uh, it brings prestige uh, to it when a creative team in particular sticks with it. I was thinking about the oh, same yeah. thing recently with this double ship that's happening now. For as long as Scott was on Batman, Tom has already written more issues. And it, yeah. it seems like it's gone by in no time. Oh, yeah, it's weird, right? It's crazy to think about like that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm doing the math in my head, just looking at stuff sometimes. And, and uh, it is crazy how fast it goes. The double ship stuff. I mean, yeah, The Flash is like a full-time job, even though I write other books. Like, I have other things to do. Mm. But, yeah, I think about The Flash all day, every day. Like, that's just sort of... Like, I'm always in Barry Allen's head because of Double Ship. I mean, I pretty much... Because uh, that was Thanksgiving 2015 that I wrote issue one. Um, wow. You know, it's your, that was three years ago. Uh, I haven't... Because that, I had that, that much of a lead time, I had, like, you know, seven, eight months... I'll say seven months of lead time before issue one actually came out because of that. Um, I haven't technically had to write a flash issue every two weeks, but pretty much I've written a flash comic every two weeks, especially once we start getting into it. And once, um, you know, you get delays and things happen and, uh, but yeah, at this point it's every two weeks for sure. Like I turned in an issue yesterday. I'll probably turn one in. Uh, it depends on a couple things. I have to get answers on some stuff, but I'll, I'll, probably turn one in on friday i try to turn one i try to do one comic a week not 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 to be too revealing uh it, it's interesting to get a read on how far in advance uh creators are working uh, what issue number did you just turn in all right this is gonna get crazy you guys are gonna it's gonna blow your mind a little bit <laughs> so yesterday yesterday i turned in two things i turned in 68 which is a council April. But I also turned in page breaks for 72 that comes out in July. However, the issue I need to write next is 76. <laughs> so the, the reason why, because of double ship and because of artists, like I always want to make sure artists aren't waiting for me. So Rafa, Rafa will finish drawing uh like he's finishing drawing the crossover with batman right now when he finishes drawing the crossover, he needs to start drawing 76 so he can do a few issues of 70 of flash in a row and not have holes and gaps or fillers so even though 76 will not come out till august and it's july he needs to start drawing that this month wow. so cool. it's weird but like howard howard is almost done drawing the second part of year one like he's right there almost finished he'll finish it this month or yeah he'll draw the second part of flash year one and that doesn't come out until the last week of may so it's like it's kind of all over the place but it's weird it's like it depends on who's drawing what issue and but it's all plotted out like the year one in particular is plotted out so tight mm. That it's and because I'm working with Howard, who I'm a good friend with, and I can talk to him on the phone, it's a different system. So it's strange to think that, like, realistically, because uh, like 68 and 69, I'm gonna write like 68 I've already written, 69 I'll, I might write this week if I don't write 76. But then it's like because 
because year one is already so outlined out, like it's it's crazy. The outline is so detailed that I could probably just give Howard the outline. He could draw the whole thing if he wanted. Um, but that's not how we work, just to make sure we don't mess anything up. But um, it's crazy to think that, yeah, realistically, probably by the end of this month, I'll be writing 76. And that is a month of August. Wow. So I'm I'm sometimes ahead. Not always. I'm sometimes ahead. Now, you and, mentioned uh, before we started kind of your workflow. So yeah. could you circle back around and kind of retouch on that? Because Yeah, so I'm in my office every day at 7 a.m. Uh, to 6 p.m. Like, I get in here, I answer a couple emails, I do whatever I gotta do on Twitter. Um, usually, like, hey, this book's coming out, hey, you know, here's cover, art, whatever. And then my Twitter actually shuts down. I have no access to Twitter after 8 a.m. for the entire day. Uh, smart. Uh, <laughs> so it shuts down. That's some discipline right there. <laughs> uh, it, dude, it's computer blocks. I got all I got all set up, and so it all shuts down. I, I don't have it on my phone um, or my iPad. There's no The only way I have access to Twitter is on my computer, so it shuts down at 8 Oh. It's literally blocked. Like, if I click on Twitter on my computer, <laughs> a thing will literally pop up on the screen that says, you should be working. Like, I'm not joking. It's what happened. <laughs> I mean, You're like Batman with all of these protocols and everything. In place. <laughs> See, I would, have to, I would have to have that if I worked from home because, I mean, you know, yeah. I don't know if it's ADD or what, but I just get so distracted and then, like... Oh, I, I, I have distractions, let me tell you. And I'll, I'll, I'll see what my distractions are. But um, I, know my, I know what my number one distraction is. Um... But yeah, so I shut everything down at eight, and then I'm just writing. And then I usually write for like four hours straight in the morning. Um, whatever needs to get done. This week was really good. I worked on a lot of stuff. Um, I'm working on some projects that haven't been announced yet, so I'm working on that stuff. And then I'm working on Flash. And then around one is when I start doing other stuff. Now, sometimes things will come up where they're like, "Hey, can you read this? Like, you need to read a lettering proof. Check it. Make the dialogue. Check the dialogue. Check the typos. Whatever." Um, you know, just go through it, give it a read. Sometimes I'll do that quickly because it's like it could take me like an hour. So let's just do that now. Um, also, that means that things are going to print soon if you get to that stage. So it's like, let's just make my editor's job easier. Looking at roughs, like art will come in from the artist, looking at that, going back and forth with them. Um, so then that is usually the morning. And then around one or one is when I started doing stuff that's like outlines or notebook work or just plan stuff. I have, a, I have two whiteboards in my office, one that's on the wall. It's for outlines and for like long-term planning. So it has stuff on it all the way until um, like the end of 2020 on it. So that's one thing. If anyone ever actually came into my office and looked at that wall, they would know all kinds of secrets about the DC universe. Um, but I keep, so I keep that up and then I go and I have another whiteboard that has on a desk and that's where I sometimes will do issue breakdowns. If I'm just like trying to like crack an issue and trying to figure out like the pacing of an issue and make sure it works because um, that way I can kind of take a step back and look at it. It's not on my computer. It's not on paper. I literally will go like 1 through 20. And that way, I, and it's almost like drawing it out. Like I'm just kind of trying to see like, is this a shoot you pack? Is it working? And uh, and then, yeah, the, the rest of the day is just notebooks, outlines, emails, taking care of stuff. Um, do that until 6 o'clock. Twitter will open for a half hour between 5.30 and 6. And so I catch up on a couple things, do whatever I got to do, retweet something, you know, whatever. And then it shuts down. And I'm out. I'm out until the morning on Twitter. And then at 6, I leave. And I, I leave my phone in my office. Like, everything is left in my office. I close the door. I go out there. And um, then I'm a family man. It's like I cook dinner for my daughter every night. So, boom, I'm out there making dinner. And that's the day, man. But, yeah, writing, I try to, I try to make it real strict to myself of, like, 
I have to write every day this many pages. I try to write seven pages a day. Like that's my, my gold. If I do five, I'm happy. And I kind of bounce around with writing the way I write, uh, the way I write scripts, I kind of all over the place. But I try to make sure that those four hours in the morning from eight to noon at the very least is all one thing. Um, and that helps me get a lot done. My biggest distraction is, um, how do I say this? Pornography? No. <laughs> Porn- uh, no. <laughs> talking to uh, talking to other creators. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we all, we're all friends with each other. And, like, James uh, Tinian and I are really good friends. And so him and I mm-hmm. chat a lot throughout the day. Um, so we're each other's distractions sometimes. Um, <laughs> it's really funny, though. If I don't hear from James for, like, three or four hours, I'm just like, oh, my God, he's dead. Like, <laughs> you know, like something's on fire i just know it um but like scott and i will talk either scott and i usually talk either really early in the morning it, it depends on the day sometimes really in the morning sometimes the afternoon sometimes really late at night you know he, he's like he works late like he'll he he and james are both like night owls when it comes to working i'm not like i'm i am you know i'm 100 percent seven to six i'll do a little bit of notebook stuff sometimes at night like last night i kind of did a little bit of notebook stuff but for the most part i'm seven to six those guys are their their schedules are different and, but they definitely work at night a lot. And so there's been times where, like, yeah, like the, I'll, I'll talk to one of them late at night or whatever. And But that's it. Like, I have a couple of friends who are artists and um, other writers. And that's probably the distraction. Like, like you know, like, Riley will be like, hey, can I show you some some art, like, when he's working on Martian Manhunter? Yeah. And I'm like, yo, show me all of it. So that's, like, a distraction because you're like, I want to see it. And um, <laughs> Well, it's not you know, your fault. Uh, I, I love the art he's doing on, on Manhunter. He is the perfect artist to be doing that book. Yeah, dude. It's what he'll do is, is he draws everything by hand. He'll touch stuff up digitally, but it's all traditional. And so he'll uh, he'll turn his Skype camera on. He'll like literally put the page up and show me the actual page while he's inking it. And it's like, yeah, why would I not? You know, because that's what he's doing is, this is why it's a distraction for me. Like, he'll still, he'll still be working. He'll be inking and talking to me. I can't write while I'm talking. So I'm just yeah. like chilling in my office. Sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll clean my office. I'll pick up books. Yeah. And sh- but if, if you're trying to write while you're conversing with him, an issue of Flash will end up having your conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It'll be like, and then Riley was talking about March Manhunter. Uh, so, um, but yeah, like that's that's probably my biggest distraction. It's just other pros, and it's fun though. Sometimes you start talking to them about stuff, and you're like, and that's really how James and I started talking a lot more about like future plans and things for like big story ideas. Is you started like talking and you're like, oh man, what about this? What about this? Oh man, what about this? And I wrote a comic this week for something that hasn't been announced, and I sent it to James to read on Monday, and then he sent me some thoughts on it, and I was like, oh man, those are really good ideas. And so I go and you make changes and stuff, and then you start talking about stuff that's like years down the line, you know, and you start talking about characters, and you just start talking about all kinds of stuff, and um, you know, yeah, how, how that's probably that my biggest how did it come about with like you, Scott and James specifically all like you guys have been collaborating on stories for a while now. Well, James and Scott have known each other for a long time. James was one of Scott's students at Sarah Lawrence. So they've known each other for a really long time before, right, yeah. before, before Scott even had like American vampire and any of that stuff at DC, like before Scott was a comic book writer period, he has known James and they've talked about story. They've, they've just been friends forever. I don't even know. I think because Scott and I met when American Vampire came out, and we would just talk to each other at conventions. Uh, we would get on the phone sometimes and talk about stuff and story, and, and sometimes just like life stuff, you know, like your friends. Um, but like we would run ideas by each other. I don't. I think before it's, it's weird. It's like before Rebirth started coming out, 
Scott and I, we, you know, we were just like friends and talking and we would walk around conventions with each other and hang out and have drinks. He started sending me All-Star Batman and I started sending him Flash comics. And then I started sending him um, Justice League Suicide Squad while I was in the middle of writing that. And we would just start talking about that stuff. And then he started talking about story. And um, I think we just all had very similar sensibilities and we knew each other's, we just kind of click in certain ways. James and I, I don't even know how James and I started talking. I think just through Scott. And then one day, I think I had to ask him a question about something. I think it was like long before metal started. It's really weird because now I talk to James every day. So it's like, it's a weird dynamic of like, when did that start? I feel like it's been going on for years. But yeah, we just all started talking and we all found out we had very, very, uh, just things in common. Mm. Like we all had a lot of storytelling sensibilities. James and I are on the same page with a lot of stuff. Um, when it comes to like our love of DC and our love of comics, we're, we're very much um, like mentally connected in some ways. Uh, same thing with Scott, like all of us, he gets three of us in a room and we just kind of like have shorthand with each other. All. And so that kind of started leading to us when we go to these summits, the three of us would just start talking. And because we're already so much on the same page with a lot of stuff, it just kept going that way. And then eventually we started pitching things together and talking about stuff together and we were working on metal together because um, James and I were consultants on metal. Uh, and so it was this thing of like, it just kind of, I don't know, it's weird. It's like when you're friends with somebody and somebody asks you like, how did that happen? You have to, you have to think about it for a minute, right? Like you're like, it, it's, it's interesting to sort of talk about the dynamic, but we started becoming friends and just started working on stuff. And yeah, we're all very uh, on the same page, a lot of things. Like we just did a summit in December and the three of us, it is interesting that I, I can see how the three of us just work. We're just on the same page, a lot of stuff, and there's just definitely like a some kind of weird chemistry where we just know each other that well. When you're planning, you know, your your stories and your arcs for you know in the mm -hmm. future, do you have have you ever had artists say, "Hey, I really want to draw like this character or something like this," and you just kind of work that into your story? Uh, if I'm working with an artist I've never worked with before, I I try to reach out and just be like, "What do you want to do?" Hmm. Before ink, like with Howard. Um, a lot of times I pitch Howard stuff before I write anything. Like, before I put even a little bit down. If I have an idea in my head, I'll call Howard and be like, this is what I'm thinking. So, like, with year one, before I wrote anything, I just knew what year one was, what I wanted to do with it. Like, how I wanted to do, like, a different take on it. I just called Howard and was like, hey, this is what I want to do. What do you think? And then we started talking back and forth. Um, it just depends. Like, if somebody comes to me and they say, like, okay, so, like, Rafa, this will be a good segue for you guys, <laughs> is that Rafa... Uh, Sandoval, I really liked his work for a long time. Like he was on Catwoman, then he was on Hal Jordan. Mm -hmm. um, I really liked his work, and so when I started asking about Flash, if he could come on, and they're like, "Well, Hal's ending," yeah, he, maybe that could happen. It, it worked out. It was like one of the I I started emailing with Rafa and Jordy, who's his inker, um, and started being like, "Yo, what do you guys want to do? What do you want to do?" And it worked out because they were like, "Oh, we would love to have like a Batman crossover," and I was like, "Hey." <laughs> that's perfect because <laughs> i already knew we were doing one uh so i was like yeah let's do that mm. so it just worked out where i was able to be like let's do this and so yeah sometimes if they come at me but usually it's because i asked i'm like what do you want to mm -hmm. do like what character you want to draw is there something you want to do it's something kind of weird thing and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't sometimes you get editorial approval because you don't want to be random mm, but right. uh you know like with scott collins on flash i ask him which which villains he likes mm. i feel bad because the villain that he loves to draw the most is for Legrad. 
and we did that really big Gorilla Grodd right before he came on. Mm. And, and now Gorilla Grodd is a Legion of Doom, so we don't really use him that often. Mm. So it's like, I can't really have Gorilla Grodd in the book. But, you know, he was a co-creator of Hunter. And so that was why I was really happy that he got to do 46 of Flash, which was a Hunter-themed issue. And he's gotten to do little stuff with Hunter uh, since then. And so... It kind of works out. It's, it's interesting talking with him about some of that stuff because he has such a history of Flash as well. Mm. He knows the character so well. It's interesting talking with him about what he wants to do or what he likes. And there's a uh, this is kind of a spoiler for Flash stuff, but um, he's the co-creator. He actually is not the co-creator, but he used to draw the Flash when Iron Heights was happening, like a lot of um, stuff with Warden Wolf. One of the rules of Warden Wolf was that he would never ever smile, no matter what. Even if he was happy, he would never smile. And so there's a scene coming up in Flash that Warren will smile. There's a reason for it. It's intentionally creepy. And he called me and he was like, I'm really struggling with this because <laughs> that was one of the rules of Warren Wolf. He understood why and he understood it was creepy. He got it. He was like, I get it. This is if this is a time for him to smile, this is a time for him to do it because it is it, it, it's intentionally creepy on purpose. But he was like, I'm really struggling with it. Cause, but he knew it. Like, it's such an interesting uh, uh, thing. But then we talked about it. And it just depends on the artist and, and the character. But I try to make it work if it's a thing, you know. Or if they don't want to draw something, too, you know. Like, no one wants to draw cars. So, so uh, you know, that's always kind of a struggle. But what, anyway. What is your favorite Batman comic book story? That's tough. I feel like I really like... You know, year one, I really like Dark Knight. Mm. Sometimes I think my favorite is Long Halloween. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> I just reread that. I'm in the middle of rereading Dark Victory. I had read because what happens? I got all the absolutes, so I got the absolute for Haunted Night. I always had, I always had the absolute for Long Halloween. I don't have the Dark Victory one. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting it. It's out of print, but I know of a friend who I know a comic shop in California that has one, so I'm going to get it from them. Nice. Uh, but someone gave me the absolute for Haunted Night, and I read those, and I'm like, man. And I read these when they came out, but it's you know reading the absolute edition, reading them now, you're just like, man, this thing is dope. And um, so then I read Long Halloween. I was reading Long Halloween. I remember reading that when it was coming out and being like, this is fucking amazing. Mm. One of the stories I really love is called Faces. Yes, that's a lo- dark. Uh, the Legends of yeah, the Dark Knight. Yeah, Legends of the Dark Knight. Oh, it's so yeah, brilliant. Matt Wagner. Yeah, Dude, I got it right here. I got Matt, it right here in my desk. Matt Wagner. Yeah, Matt Wagner. Dude, oh. I really like that one. Like, that one's really good. So here in my office, uh, I have a million bookshelves in my office. Like, a million bookshelves, right? Mm-hmm. But I have this one. Imagine a bookshelf, like a, a pretty standard-sized bookshelf. So it's got one, two, three, four, five, six shelves high. I could probably put, like, 30 trays on each. I have one bookshelf dedicated to just Batman. It is nothing but Batman. Like, not, not a shelf, the entire thing. So it's like six. So it's six shelves of Batman trades. Like I get all Damn. the Batman trades, and I have that new Mondo Batman toy that just came out. It's like oh, yeah, yeah oh. the animated series. Six. Dude, yeah. I got yes, yes, yeah, I got that right here. I have a little like Hot Wheel uh, Batmobile that has like gold tires on it. It's not Hot Wheel, somebody else, but it looks dope. <laughs> I got the animated series. Um, I have the animated series car, the toy car they came out with. I have that at the top. I have the plane and I have the Batcave, but I don't have room for them. I don't know where the fuck I want to put them. Mm. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I have to hang the uh, Batwing from my ceiling. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know. I'm, well, I'm, uh, eventually, I'm building an office above the garage, and all this stuff's going to go in there. I have, years ago, um, they released this giant head bust of the mask, of uh, the Batman Returns mask. Mm. 
Uh, I have that in the garage just waiting for a day when I have an office big enough for it. I had the Batman Returns poster up. But yeah, man, I mean, uh, there's some that are, like, personal to me. Like, Nightfall is something I really love because that was, like, mm-hmm. the big Batman event that was coming out when I was, like, going to the shop yeah. every week, you know, on my right. bike. So that was that one's really important to me. Um, yeah, I feel like those, like, like I love, I mean, right now I'm reading those uh, those Norman Brayfogel hardcovers. Oh, those yeah. are great, uh, yeah. Yeah, I really like Norm Brayfogel a bunch. And so, yeah, it just depends, dude. Sometimes it's weird. It's like I'm in the middle of reading Long Halloween, and I'm like, this. This is the one. But, like, Dark Knight. Dark Knight is something I have. I probably have more versions of Dark Knight than I have of anything. Because I have, you know, I have a soft cover of it. I had that hardcover they released, 10th anniversary. I had the 20th anniversary one. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I had that Chip Kid one. Um I have the really, really big one that Graffiti Design did two years ago. Yeah. 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 I have that one. Uh, I have the Absolute. That's just a story that just keeps on giving, doesn't it? I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Well, that big one is pretty dope. I got the one that has the Frank Miller sign and the little sketch in there. So, Dark Knight, some days it's weird. Like, sometimes I'm like, man, Dark Knight's important to me. And then, but then some days I think about Faces and I'm like, man, Faces is dope. Like, Face is just one that spoke to me as a kid. Because you go back and look at Faces, you can see Nailbiter. Like, um, oh. you can see some of it in there. You can see some of, like, you know, because that, that story is, is super dark. Uh, I love Gotham Central. Uh, I love Batman Ego. Batman Ego. Oh, Darwin. That is such uh, a yeah. good story. Darwin. Real good. It just depends on the day, dude. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny. So Sometimes you look over and you're, I'll, I'll be like, what about this one? What about this one? You know? And, mm. and I like Year One a lot. Year One is, uh, you know, it. Uh, so my my desk is set up is I have all these bookshelves, but I have one bookshelf that's right next to me. So if I turn left, it's like right there, and it has all of Jeff Johns' flash, has a couple of Mark Wade flashes, uh, has all of my flash. Cause I'll go back and look at stuff in my own reference. Um, so Scott, okay, you mentioned year one, you know the Frank Miller, Dave Mazzucchelli, and now yeah. you're doing Flash year one. Yeah. Are you? I mean. Batman Year One was like four issues. How many issues is Flash Year One? And are you kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say letting it influence, but are you kind of going in that kind of direction? Uh, it's six issues long. Six, okay. Uh, it's six issues long. Um, I mean, there's definitely Frank Miller influence. I think that's that would be my answer to that question. Um, Howard is a really big Frank Miller fan. I'm a really big Frank Miller fan. So there's there's definitely um, there's definitely a lot of Frank Miller influence in it. Um, but then not really at the same time, like it, it, there's a little bit of, uh, it's weird. Like once you guys start seeing it, you're going to see all the influence. Like, I'm not going to lie. You're going to be like, Oh, this is like this, this and this, but it's because I love those things. And I love the flash and I really wanted to do something different with that character and do it. You know, no one had ever really done flash year one before with Barry. Right. Uh, like a, like a straight up, here's a flash year one story. Um, and so I was able to do that with this and I don't know, I'm really, really digging working on how he's doing like the best work. Mm. of his life dude it's crazy like he yeah. you can tell he's having so much fun doing it uh but yeah there's 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 stuff in there i mean the big the big difference i would say is when you look at year one that's not just a story about bruce it's a story about gordon right right, right. Like, so much gordon we don't necessarily have a gordon there there is something to it like that there's a little bit of that we have some stuff that is gordon ish throughout it like you know there's there's a couple surprises when you read it you'll see but there's you know, it, it, it like how the idea of what Gotham was to Gordon and Gotham was to Batman. We're doing some stuff similar to that with uh, Central City and what Central City was going through at the time. And um, yeah, I don't want to get into spoilers too much, but 
there's oh. listen when you read it i'm telling you this when you read it you will understand <laughs> good so good because awesome. one of the appeal for me like you said with year one was it's not just a batman story it's a gordon story but also how they're figuring out how to you know batman bruce is figuring out how to you know become more and then gordon is figuring out the game and how to play within the Gotham City Police Department and stuff like that. So that's yeah, kind of what I was, is, yeah. that's kind of yeah, what I was going for. Is like you know Barry's got to figure out. Okay, I've been in this event that gives me these powers and the Speed Force, and I've got to basically learn how to do this and control this in a way. It's a lot of it. it who's my allies it. and who's my enemies and things like that? You know. Well, I mean, just yeah, like learn the powers, learn the science of it. It's it's definitely a freaky experience to suddenly have powers like that. Um, now with Flash, Remember, have you had to do like some like you don't have to necessarily incorporate it in the book, but a little bit of physics research and scientific hmm. stuff to. Yeah, man, I have had some days where I've gone down some holes, like <laughs> like try to figure out like at least pseudoscience, right? Like I'm not a I'm not a physicist. I'm not gonna get shit like exact, but there are days where I've gone down some holes, um, just just well, trying to figure something. Like right now, I'm not gonna say what it was, but like. Yesterday or Thursday morning, Thursday morning, I was trying to figure something out a little bit yesterday, too, I guess. Uh, I was trying to figure something out because it was a moment where Barry had to beat someone using science. Like I knew that was the I knew that was the beat that it needed. Mm. Right? I knew that was the beat that it, that was the rhythm uh, was that that Barry needed to use science to beat somebody. It couldn't be the speed it had to be the science or it had, the speed involved. But it was about science. Right. Mm. And so as I was writing it. I literally was just like I didn't get deep into it because I was I was kind of doing the breakdown of how the events actually happened, which is like a rhythm, which is a rhythm thing, and I had that moment of like, oh yeah, this is a this is a moment where he needs to win using science, so that's like next week's problem. Like I have to sit down and go down a hole figuring out the science how to make it work, and so it sucks sometimes because you really do go down holes, dude. Like you're looking at the internet, I got books. I have a couple books here in the house that are literally like science for dummies. <laughs> just trying to like because you try to figure some stuff out you know like well, yeah and, and, it makes and, it yeah, more so i've definitely gone down it i love charles soul's uh run on daredevil because he, yeah it has actual legal stuff yeah he, yeah he actually tied in legal experience with this character that's a lawyer i mean it made perfect sense so yeah. that's something i was wanted to ask you oh like batman with yeah detective no, for work sure. as well same a little tradition over here in the bad force is uh lightning round all right fire away all right Grimps. well this, in honor of you, we're going to call this the Speed Force round. <laughs> oh, <man>. So, <laughs> number one, what's your most embarrassing moment? Uh, <laughs> I have so many. I have so many. Uh, I have so many, and they're like they're either embarrassing or they're uh, tragic. I feel like uh, my most embarrassing moment. Um, oh man, uh, being in high school. And getting up in front of a class and reciting a poem about a girl in the class and the poem being absolute garbage, just just <laughs> the worst thing ever. And having it was like it was like a horror movie, you know, like, uh, yeah, that was that's up there. I'm not sure if that's the most embarrassing, yeah, but well, that's, that's one that haunts me sometimes when I am at night. You know, I'm like, those, those, that, yeah, those moments pop in your head and you're just like, what the? What was I? Oh my god! Uh, that's that's pretty embarrassing. I feel like that one. I've had a lot of little ones here and there, but that's the one that sometimes comes at me in the middle of nowhere. Like I'm doing the dishes, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Man, why did I do that?" Like that one. Comes- 
what is uh what is your guilty pleasure song something that you don't want anyone to know that you love this song <laughs> oh, a song man i don't know you know that song that madonna made for uh, league of their own yeah the, that the one in the end i love that yeah, yeah i hear that song all the time i love it i'm not sure i'm embarrassed by that but uh <laughs> i love it i love that song i mean i like uh I watched Frozen this morning with my daughter and that song <laughs> that Olaf sings about wanting to know what life is like in summer. I love that song. Like, mm. it's so charming. It's such yeah. a charming little song. And he has, I don't know, it's funny. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. You guys uh, are like, you guys are looking for embarrassing stuff. No, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're just. Hey, okay. So you're you're a West Coast guy. Um, yeah. I don't know. You go to the cons, San Diego. Do you go to yes. C2E2? I have not been to C2E2 since 2015. Yeah, that, that was the last time I've gone. And did but you San Diego, get... San Diego, I've gone every year since '94. But you um, also go to New York Comic Con, I'm assuming. I go to New York. Yeah, okay. Chicago. I had bad luck with Chicago, man. That con, either I get sick, something weird happens. Mm. Uh, the food, food, something like Chicago always gets me. So I did Chicago like. I was doing Chicago every other year, and then that 2015 one, I was just like, I, it was really weird. I made a lot of money at that con, but I got sick. Mm. Like, I did really well, but that was also the last con before, there was a couple things happened. I, I was the last, 2015 was the last year I was doing conventions before I got married, before I had a kid. And so I cut back on cons. And so when I cut back on cons, I also was trying to do cons I didn't normally do. Like this year I did Toronto. I'd never been to Toronto before. Trying to do a couple of things. I did MegaCon last year for a day. did a con in Phoenix. I tried to cut back. So that's why Chicago, I started not doing Chicago as much. Someday, so, someday. You know, and we kind of have a, a running contest on this show. So out of New York and Chicago, which style of pizza do you like? Do you like the Thin Crust New York or the deep dish of Chicago? Uh, this is a tough question. I've only had pizza once in Chicago. I'm going to say New York. I like New, New York. York. Okay. And what toppings do you get? Oh, pepperoni. Pepperoni, maybe pepperoni, onion, but mostly pepper. I'm a pepperoni guy. Like, it's really weird. For a long time, I would be like, load it up. Give me, give me all kinds of stuff. You know, kinds of stuff. <laughs> the older I've gotten, the more I'm like, no, nah, that's not pepperoni. Uh, we went to, we went to this place. It's supposed to be like a famous place in Chicago. This is again, 2015. And yeah, it was a deep, deep, deep dish where it was like, it was like a pot pie. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it was <laughs> that deep. And I was like, I was like, is that pizza? You're like, or is that a lasagna? You know, so. <laughs> True. Exactly, yeah. So, but I, I guess I prefer New York. No offense to you. If someone told me they love that pizza, I'd be like, awesome. Mm. Yeah. What's your so, uh, what's your dream car? My dream car. Oh, my God. This is a weird question because I went through a car phase like oh. six months ago where I was like debating. Because Scott, so Scott, for his 40th birthday, got this really nice car. Um, I'm going to say a Shelby Cobra. That's kind of what I want. That's cool. Like, I, uh, it's weird. I, so I started looking at different cars. You know, I've never been, like, that much of a car guy. I've never been that much into it. I'm, I'm, it there was a moment. So it was funny. We were having this uh, – we were at a convention. I don't know where we were. It was, like, last year – we all started talking about buying something for yourself, right? Like buying something for yourself. And Scott was, you know, we were talking about buying the car for his 40th. And we were talking about all this different stuff. And uh, it came to me and they were like, what are you going to do? Like, what's the what's the big thing you want to buy? Like a car or this or that? And I was like, I really want to build this office. And they were like, no, 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 no. Like, what is the thing for you? And I was like, yeah, the office. Like, <laughs> But the office is going to be dope. I'm gonna have it's going to have like a movie theater like projector in there, and I'm going to have all this stuff. And I don't know, like that was the thing where I'm like, oh, I want this dope office. Like that's the thing. So it's weird. It's like when I turn forty, am I going to buy a Shelby Cobra, 
or am I going to have a dope office? And like my office, I want to have it where to get into it because the way it's set up right now, we've, we've been talking to designers about how to build this, but uh, it'll have on the outside to get in, it'll have a fake bookcase like yes. in the Batman 66 show. I knew you and you'll have to, that. yeah, you have to do that to get into it. So I'm like, listen, man, that's where that's what I'm going to get. Nice. But, yeah. And you've got to have the red phone or the bust of William the, Shakespeare. The, so Diamond Select made that bust like two yeah. years ago and I missed it. And now it's a little bit more expensive. And part of me is like, do I buy that diamond select one or I make one? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have the bus. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm gonna go, I'm, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. You can't uh, call someone at DC and just say, hook me up. With it, well, there's a the thing. It depends on who makes it. Because yeah. I have a friend mm-hmm. who works in merchandising, so some stuff, it's weird sometimes. Like sometimes, if I want something, I can get it or I can get a hookup. And then sometimes you can't, and it's like, and obviously you don't want to abuse that. Mm. Right, like you don't want to be like send me every toy, every <laughs> book. Yo, <laughs> why not? You know, uh, well, you know, uh, but, <laughs> nice. but I mean, listen, I could be super greedy with this shit, but uh, <laughs> like one time, I probably should tell the story, but whatever. So there have been times where I have gone. Uh, there was one year we went, and there were other pros with me. We went to the summit, and after the summit was over, they were like, "You guys want to go to the toy toy room?" And if you get to go to the toy room at DC, you get whatever you want. If you go into it, they, they literally give you whatever you want. And uh, I went in there and I was like, now, listen, listen, listen. When you guys say whatever you want, do you mean whatever you want? Is this going to be like supermarket sweep or whatever? I'm going to run through here and, and get whatever I want. <laughs> and they were like, get whatever you want. So the other two creators were like, oh, one toy here, one toy there. Oh, maybe maybe the statue, maybe this T-shirt and. Like, had, like, a couple little things. I walked out of there with, bad. <laughs> and they mail it to you. They mail it to you. So, oh, like, you don't, you don't take on the plane with you. They mail it to you. So I lost my damn mind. I was like, one of those, one of those, one of those, one of those. I was like, give me that, give me that, give me that. Like, I went crazy. Like, Tom, I'm going to say one of the people in that room was Tom. And I was like, so I was like, Tom. Yo, get this, get this, get this. Like I was, I was, I was like, dude, get this, get this. They had this like dope Dark Knight uh, Mezco toy. Oh, and they only had two left, and it was one was the black and like the black and gray one, and the one was oh, the blue. Wow, Those blue and black. So, one. so I, yeah, so I took the gray and black one and was like, this is mine. Mm. And then I gave Tom the other one and was like, <laughs> Yo, you, you want this? You want yeah, this? And yeah. it was like, it's like a it heist. Like, oh. oh and I was like, Tom, it's free. They're giving it to us. Like, we earned we earned this. We, <laughs> we, we earned so, this, man. <laughs> so whenever Tom posts pictures of toys and I see that Dark Knight toy, I'm always like, that's right. That's right, man. That's, you, <laughs> you got that because I made you take it. Good so, advice on that. Uh, yeah, I mean. Plain or peanut M&M's? Peanut. Nice. Okay. Favorite cookie, chocolate chip, oatmeal raisin, or macadamia? Oh man, chocolate chip. Too crazy, boy. Chocolate chip. There you go. Raisins are dead grapes, man. Yep. <laughs> they're zombie. They're zombie grapes. Dehydrated. <laughs> dehydrated grapes. Black is okay, grapes. Marv Wolfman last episode said that he plays Call of Duty. So could he beat your ass on Call of Duty? <laughs> yeah, I have never played Call of Duty once in my life. So I would probably be horrible at it. No, say noob. yes. If, noob, uh, yeah. noob, noob. You're the guy we. Will, we want to play against. If you could have okay. dinner with one human being throughout history, dead or alive, that exists throughout history, who would it be? David Bowie. Damn. Cool. Where would you like to travel someplace you've never been? Uh, 
uh, I've never been. Uh, probably Italy. I've never been to Italy before. Oh, uh, nice. We were just talking about this. I don't know why. We were watching a movie. My wife and I were watching some movie, and they were in Italy, and I was like, I've always, she's been. I've never been. Um, I've been a lot of other places, but Italy is one um, I just haven't been, been to, so Italy is on the list. And if you could have one superpower, what would it be? <laughs> uh, does it count if I say Superman's powers? Um, no, uh, that is tough. I'll say the Speed Force. I, I would say that the Speed Force, because I feel like, yeah, you can fly. Flying seems cool, but like the Speed Force, you can do so much with it, you know? You, you can make uh, it out of this really quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure I still procrastinate. Like I still, I would still <laughs> procrastinate really fast. <laughs> yeah, That's what people yeah. don't realize. I mean, Superman and Flash can do these things really fast, but if they don't know what they're doing, it'll still just be a really fast-built, shitty office. So you got to know <laughs> what you're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. But he can read those books and all that. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, last one. Last it. one. What is your favorite classic arcade video game? What What do you consider classic, though? Well, like. In my neighborhood, I just recently discovered uh, this retro classic arcade. I mean, they had everything from like Centipede, Joust, you know, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, King yes, Kong, all I mean, these. I, you know, yeah, I would probably say Donkey Kong, right? Oh, but yeah, I mean, for me, going to the arcade, like by the time I was old enough to like go to the arcade uh, by myself, you know, you're talking about that X-Men game, the Simpsons game, Ninja Turtles, like. Oh, yeah. Those are the games that when I was going and playing, those are the games that I would play. Uh, that being said, along with that, so when I was so that summer, Mortal you know, Kombat, you know. Mortal Kombat, great. But here's the thing: so that summer, right? I'm bringing it all back around. So the summer of '92, when Batman Returns came out, I would go, I would go, and I would watch Batman Returns. I'd go to the comic book store, and then I'd go to Pizza Hut. Nice. I get a personal pan pizza. Uh, I think it was a year after that. A year after that. That, that personal pan pizza, they would give us those uh, those like X Men videos. They had that X Men mat and like little comics they would make that were for the for the cartoon. I would go, I'd get a personal pan pizza, I'd read my Batman comics, and I would play one video game every day, one arcade game at that Pizza Hut. Mm. It was NBA Jam. Oh, so I would yeah. probably say, yeah. <laughs> I would probably say NBA. He's on fire. Remember that their heads so got really probably. big. <laughs> They put NBA Jam on the PlayStation 3, and it was like a newer one that they would actually update. If like someone got traded, uh, they would actually update it. It was mm. awesome. So we would play that. It was like a newer version of it. And man, let me tell you, like, I am not the type of person to get heated very often. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> Like, ask anybody. Like, ask anybody. It's like really rare for me to get mad. But I would get pissed by NBA Jam. Like, I'd get... It's like the one team? game that brings it out of me. Mm. Uh, at that time period, it would either be like, Portland, okay. uh, sometimes the Mavs. Um, yes, you know, uh, yeah, mostly I say Portland and Mavs at the time. Wow, um, those are the two I was playing. Sometimes, sometimes I play Phoenix because that was that time period too, right? So you're talking about like Steve Nash was on it and stuff, and right. it just depended on the time. I think now I'm not even sure what I probably play Portland now if I was playing it now, but yeah, yeah. cool, awesome. When you were talking about the. Uh, growing uh, list of collectibles in your office it sounded like there was a lot of animated series stuff there was it safe to assume you were an animated series guy yeah yeah for sure yeah so that's uh, a, that's that, that came out that fall right so you know june is batman returns by september that was when animated series started so i was deep in a batman by then any anything from the animated series universe you would like to write in comics oh that's tough uh I, i've always wanted to bring the phantasm in you know uh <laughs> 
great ghost. Uh, oh. I really like, you know, like there's stuff in there. Uh, but it's funny you brought that up. I have, I would love to bring. This is this is not the animated, but I've always wanted to bring Max Shrek into the into the book somehow. Yes. Uh, but I think because of there's like there are reasons that won't happen. Mm-hmm. But you're, uh, you're fired. You know. <laughs> yeah, he should be the. You know, but it's not my job. Yeah. You know, but uh, That's... you know. Um, hey, yeah. why not? Yeah. What can everyone expect of the price? The Heroes in Crisis crossover. How did I get into this with that? So. Really, that story to me is about Batman and Flash and their friendship and how, because of what's been happening, um, you know, ever since Rebirth, we've been kind of working on this relationship between the two of them, right? Because it's not like there was a lot of Batman-Flash stuff before that, right? Like, you have a little bit of that going on with Flashpoint. Because of what's been going on in Heroes in Crisis, that relationship is definitely on the rocks. Like, there's definitely, like, they're trying to investigate this thing together, and they've hit a dead end. Now this other case kind of pops up that relates to both of them, and they have to work on it together. And they don't necessarily... They try. They try to make it work, but there's definitely a lot of tension there. And so the story, I mean, you can tell from the covers, like, it's a lot to do with Gotham Girl, and there's stuff that happens when with that, and there's stuff with Heroes in Crisis. But to me, it's really a piece about these two people who are good friends, who respect each other a lot, see something from very different angles. They're different kinds of people, you know? They're different kinds of detectives, and they would solve problems differently, and now they're confronted with a problem, they don't agree on how to solve it. Like, that's sort of, that's what it's about. It's really just about their relationship and kind of what happens after all this stuff and how the strain mm. of these things. And so, you know, that life that they lead, this life that they lead as superheroes and how they bring other people into it, like sidekicks and partners and friends they bring into this life. And there's a cost to that. Mm. There's a cost to bringing these people in. And that's sort of where the idea of the price comes in. It's like, you know, are you able to pay this price? And is it really, you know, you're asking other people to pay this price as well. Like, you might be willing to do it. You might make the decision for yourself to pay that price. But, you know, should you ask other people to pay it as well? It's very much like an emotional story. It's been, it's interesting writing those two characters. It's it's funny to talk about this because I feel like it's really a character piece. It isn't as much plot. So much like how the button was, where the button, you know, is really this lead-in stuff for Doomsday Clock. But it's not like we we went to a lot of places, we did a lot of stuff, but when it really came down to it, that was really about character stuff, you know? It was all about those conversations between Barry and Bruce and with them dealing with things, and then Barry and Bruce with Thomas Wayne, and mm. uh, Barry and Bruce dealing with Reverse Flash. It's And this is sort of similar to that, where it's about them being confronted by this stuff and really being about the characters. But it also looks awesome, because Gillian March and Rafa Sandoval are kicking ass at it. Like, it's crazy to get some of that stuff in. <laughs> uh, I'm not really excited about it. It's kind of funny, though. It's kind of a small story. It's not really, like, a really giant big thing. I mean, there's definitely ramifications from it. There's stuff that you'll see that will impact other stuff for sure. Like, it's going to impact Batman. It's going to impact Flash. There's going to be something, mm. not getting too much into spoilers, but there's a stuff at the ending that you're going to be like, oh, shit, and that will lead to other stuff. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's definitely this building idea of, of the relationships these characters have and how sometimes they're not always going to agree on everything just because they're superheroes. Just because yeah. they're... You know, they both might want to save lives. They may not agree on how to save them, though. Well, Josh, we want to thank you for your time. Thanks for going overtime with us. Thank you for all the hard work you've been doing. Yeah, thanks for promoting the book, guys. Like, thanks for doing all this stuff. And it's weird. It's like, you know, like I said, I worked at a comic book store. And it's always just nice to talk to people who... I'm in my office all day. 
mm. doing nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's always nice to talk to people who are like also passionate about this stuff and trying to like make it better and just trying to like let everybody else know about it. That's yeah. what you guys do too, you know? Well, yeah. that's one thing we try to, you know, convey to the creators that we talk to. I mean, one, it's a privilege. And if you asked me three years ago, hey, you're going to get the chance to talk to these writers and artists in comics that make these awesome books, I'd say you're crazy, but we're doing it now. And I think we have an obligation to be your sounding board for whatever you want to promote in the future. Yeah, let's, about... let's, plan the, let's plan to talk again in the summer. That's, That's my answer cool. to you with that. Awesome. And, okay. I, and I will continue to pray to the buckaroo gods for hopefully the return <laughs> of it. <laughs> you don't want to pray to them. They're bad people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks again, Josh, for everything. We appreciate your time yeah, and hard work. Yeah, thank you so much. And I will be in touch. Thanks again, bud. Thanks, thanks. thanks guys. Have a good one. Hey, Gotham dwellers. Make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs.